Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome for the Go for Leadership podcast. Today with me is Peter Geritz and I'm happy to have you on board. Well, thanks for having me. Go for Leadership interviews. Peter, like always, our first question goes around uh, introducing yourself. So you have 30 seconds to give us a glimpse. Who is Peter? Yeah, no Yes, I'm a leadership coach and a creativity consultant, you could say. So my main aim is to impact and help leaders become more human-centric. And instead of sustaining the old kind of dogma that's out there, I'm into more regenerative practices, if that makes sense. Awesome. I love that. And uh, that's the right topic. So we talk about leadership in, in our podcast. So maybe you can give your your own definition of what, what is your passion about leadership? So first, how would you define leadership and what is your passion about leadership? Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. So for me, the definition of leadership is simply just to be of service. Mm -hmm. You know, because many people get given the role of a people manager, but they're not necessarily the right person, right? So the first question I always ask people who come to me and say, how can I be a better leader? Is a, how can you be of service to your people? How can you help them, you know, to feel safe and included and listened to so they're able and free to do the best work without all of the stuff that innocently gets in the mix and gets in the way, such as micromanagement and not being able to delegate and a lack of trust, right? I love that. What, what is your passion about leadership? Why, why you have so much, uh, let's say, um, yeah, what drives you on a day-to-day -day basis helping, helping those leaders? What is the passion? I want to understand. I just love this subject. I never get bored of it. I've been a leader on and off for 20 years before I co-founded The Mind Takeaway with Mira. And I just love the fact that when you light someone up and you show them a way forward, and like I say, it points back to psychological safety and being of service you just see what people can do for other people and it's for me it's a game of really lighting other individuals up small changes ripple outwards so if you can impact one person and help them to grow you know that person will not really forget that you know everyone remembers the really bad bosses right it's quite easy you know the person that was bullying or micromanaging you but What about the, the people in your life, like the mentors or the people you could go to or just allowed you and trusted you to do your best work? Sometimes the best leaders are in the background. They're so subtle. You know, they only step forward when they're required, when, when they need to give you feedback or, for example, you fail and they're there to help you learn from, you know, what can we do together going forward? What, what can we do better the next time that you do that particular thing that you're doing, right? I love that. So... Uh, let us uh, stick into that topic. So um, do you think that these days uh, the leader that, that are currently out there have this uh, empathy to, to really serve? Because I, I, I have my, in my experience, there, there is a lack of, of this servant leadership that, that you describe. And, and I, I completely agree. And I, I would love that we would have much more of them. Yeah, you know what, if I'm really honest, I think, I mean, in the game that I'm in, helping people, I'm talking to colleagues all the time, you know, my clients are a little bit more switched on than the normal, I would say, people manager. However, I still think we've got a long way to go. And that's why I'm so passionate about this subject, because I know that although there are wonderful leaders out there, people who really just light people up, they're more like light the touch paper and step away. 
and you just see what the teams can do. You know, it's, it's a team that's under pressure versus a high-performing team that's just allowed to do the best work, and you can just see the difference in the results, right? So do, do I believe there, there's more work to do? Yeah, I mean, I really do think people can be a little bit more empathetic and passionate. And we all, I mean, I made this mistake. We can all get a bit impatient, right? And when we're under pressure, especially during COVID, it's even more important to look in on your people and have the back because if they don't have someone there to protect them and help them go forward and learn together, they're more likely just to not do the work that you want. And then you end up course correcting, give them more feedback. And let's be honest, you end up with double the amounts of work. So if you're, if you're compassionate and you're showing empathy and you're showing patience and you're really growing that team, you're more likely to get the results that you want. And again, I know it sounds really obvious, right? But it's amazing how many people don't really think that part through, right? Absolutely. Uh, so do you think that in, in particular, as you were touching the topic of COVID, that in this challenging times where you have this huge level of uncertainty, this huge level of exogen forces that say impacting your organization, your team, your company, that uh, the 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 yeah the, the good leaders stand stand up and and that you see really the performance of of people or teams that that, that show that level of empathy of of uh, interest of of your people can you give yeah, some examples an example well the people that i speak to in terms of organization and some of my clients right now they're really putting the red carpet down, you know, they're really protecting their people, they're checking in more often. But the crucial thing is they're asking their people what they want, right? This is the difference between people management and leadership. You go in there and even though you can't do everything, you're being transparent and you're being honest with your people and saying, look, I don't have all the answers, but what's going to make sense for you to feel safe during this time? What can I do? without having to stand over your shoulder and make you paranoid and think that I'm checking in on you when, you know, you just need to get on with your work. Because right now, let's be honest, it, it's challenging for everyone, even me too, right? We don't know when this COVID thing's going to end. So the best gift you can give your people right now is just to find a baseline for your team and at an individual level, what's going to be meaningful for them to feel protected, safe, listened to and included to be free to do their best work. And it's as simple as just asking the right kind of questions, right? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that the clients that I've got that are doing that or the companies that I'm speaking to, they're the companies that are going to be there in the next five to 10 years. Anyone that's not doing that, where, for example, they're using software to monitor the teams, which is completely nonsensical to me. You know, this is a time for trust. Even, I'll give you a, a really tangible example. A team I used to run in the Middle East, this was a decade ago even though I was a bit fearful and I didn't really know them when I actually inherited half of this team, I just knew that the best way I could actually get impact from these people and grow this team and nourish them and coach them and make sure that they can actually produce the results and hit the KPIs was to just trust them immediately. And the team itself, they didn't trust me yet. You know, I was a new manager. But over time, because I had the back and they could see that I was allowing wiggle room for them to grow, make mistakes, but in a controlled way where we could sit down together, we could unpack what had happened. And mistakes did happen. You know, there were some calamities. But the difference is they, they realized that I actually had the back. 
And the only way that you can really do that as a leader is you have to go there first. So uh, another part of that was that if I didn't trust myself to do the role, or for example, it was obvious that in one way I was saying, I trust you, but behind the back, I was checking in too much or trying to micromanagement, uh, micromanage these people, the results wouldn't have been as impactful and it would have been a lot more difficult. And like I said before, if you don't do it that way, you end up with more than double the amount of work, right? And an uphill struggle in most cases. I absolutely agree. So do you think that, that this level of, let's say, of close uh, relationship building between between the, the leader and, and the staff or the, the team, um, there is, uh, let's say, or uh, is it more difficult, let's say, in a remote setting than in a physical setting? Do you think? That's a great question. And thanks for asking that because this is probably the most common uh, challenge that leaders have right now. And actually, I'm doing a workshop about that tomorrow because it's, again, it's another passion project for me. So remote management is more challenging, let's be honest, because, for example, when I think back for the first gig I had, having a team, not just that were actually not in the office, but they were in three different countries, it was actually quite challenging because I'm like, okay, how can I really make sure that people are doing the best work how can i look after them how can i coach and support them well it goes back to what i said before you need to just ask questions you know so you're a new team for example if you just inherited a team or you've you know before covid happened you never actually had that experience the first thing i did was get together those people and that's the first thing i tell my clients is well what's going to be meaningful to you to go and ask them, you know, what can you do to support them during this time? And most teams realize that actually it's around checking in more often. So finding a baseline for having an extra meeting in the week, for example, where you're not just smashing through targets and numbers and presentations and all the business critical stuff. Because I would argue that the non-business related things like checking in on a human level and just saying, look, how are you? We know that it's a bit crazy. You know, what's going on at home? Let's talk about something else. And that's when people just come alive because that's the kind of thing that will save you in the future. You can't just 24-7 look at, you know, if you're working on a project and all of the moving parts of that, you need to step out of that work sometimes and just check in on a human level. And that's what usually helps people grow and helps teams settle during these times because everyone gets stressed and burnt out. It happens, right, even before COVID, uh, we were all going too fast and, you know, we all have targets, KPIs and time, you know, the time's ticking kind of thing. But the more that you check in and just ask the right questions with your team, the, the easier it is to be able to do your job. And then when things go wrong, your team are more willing to check in with you and say, look, this didn't work versus the other things where people go behind your back or worse still, If it, you know, a lot of my clients say to me, what, what do we do about communication? I said, well, if, as long as come, people are coming to you with the problems, with the challenges, that's fine. You know, address it, listen to them, take the time, give your people a gift of time. If, if that information stops and all of a sudden you find that it's gone quiet, that's when you need to worry. Because if people are not checking in and communicating with you, you've got a problem, right? And that's the thing. People are sorry. Gone. Yeah. No, no. I I, I love that uh, that saying because in particular you mentioned uh, in in the former answer that 
trust is 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 essential let's say for for building up a team and relationship yeah. and and i always say that the trust is the kit between between the people it's it's the essence or the starting point of each relationship and of course it's also that um that i think it's the foundation of everything that can come on top so maybe you can also give me kind of some other uh, traits or, or skills um that you believe a good leader would need to have in order to build up a performance team? Mm -hmm. Well, you need to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just listening with, a, you know, a quick reply and being clever. It's actually, I mean, I used to do that quite often. And then you realize that that's not going to give you the impact. So it's listening to understand. You know, it's listening and then just clearing your diary to actually give your people individual gift of time, whether it's one on one or collectively in meetings. And then just listening to the pulse of your team that will save you so much, because once they know that you've actually got your attention, that's when they'll actually more likely do the hard work. So if your back's against the wall and suddenly, you know, you've got to do some hard work, your team are more likely to actually do it for you because they know that you've actually been listening to them. The other bit as well is how you communicate, because nowadays we have so much, uh, so many ways of doing it, right? Digital and non-digital. And right now, lots of my clients are saying, how do I communicate? You know, they're at home, what do I do? And the simple answer is uh, use all of the mediums available. But again, listen to your team, check in, because if you're over communicating, if you're having too many meetings, which, it happens quite often, right? It's a common gripe in the corporate world. Then you're actually detracting from high performance. I'd much rather have minimal meetings. And, you know, if, if there's course correction required or something goes wrong, then stuff can happen ad hoc versus cramming the week with too much stuff like that. And then people actually can't do the, you know, the important work that they were paid to do, right? And it might sound really obvious, but companies get it so wrong. And even in my corporate career, honestly, half of the time I was in meetings versus when I knew that I should be out there actually getting some of this work done, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's also very important. That's a um, challenge that these days I, I see that, of course, with, with everything is, is set up as a meeting, right? Because you need to have it and bring it into your calendar. And formerly it was the, the nice talk during a coffee, the nice side talk with a colleague. It was really doing the impact, right? You get the things resolved fast. Uh, you, you put the thing on the spot and you didn't need to search a spot in the calendar for maybe next week for 30 minutes. And then uh, there are five or 10 people blocked for 10 minutes, but maybe it's only, it's only a part of them that, that are really required in order to get the problem solved. So do you experience similar phenomena? Yeah, and if I'm honest, before I left the corporate world, I was quite famous for just not being in meetings. And I used to get into trouble. So for people listening, you know, I, I know it's a, it's a challenge. You know, you shouldn't be disrespectful. I used to communicate it that, look, I'm going to come to this meeting, but actually I'm going to leave at this time. Because I don't know if you've thought about this, but another thing that leaders really struggle with is setting their own personal boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if the people above you or your boss doesn't like that, then, you know, you need to sit down and have the courage to have some meaningful conversations around it because there are meetings that, yes, you know, there's no way you can negotiate not being there, right? We all know that. 
but I would hazard a guess if you're really honest with yourself. Do we, you know, if you check in with your team and your function and depending on how, much, you know, how big the operation is you're working in, you'll probably be able to get some efficiencies back. And it is possible, but it does require everyone sitting down and being honest. And I don't know what you think about this, but I'm completely comfortable with conflict as a leader. And this is what I try and instill into my clients when we do leadership development, that just because you don't agree with another person, actually, that's okay. As long as you're actually having an you know, open dialogue and there's a human connection there, things can be resolved. And if you look at the, for example, a high-performing team, if you were to sit on the fly in the wall and just look in on them, sometimes it's a mess. Sometimes there is conflict. But then that conflict is resolved individually between the team members because there's psychological safety there. And people say to me, what is psychological safety? It's just what we pointed to, allowing people, you know, to trust them to do their best work, checking in on them, making sure self-care's at the forefront. So for you individually first as a leader, and then saying to people, look, I think you're a bit burnt, you know, stop this for now, check out, go home. And I know it's difficult because I don't know what you think about this, but right now I see people burning out even more because there is no going home, right? We were not commuting. So I see people saying, yeah, boss, I'm going to check out, no problem. And then they're innocently working until 9.30 at night, you know, just glazed over, looking at the screen, still dealing with emails. So again, a good leader spots that and will actually, I mean, you can't force people, but you'll check in and say, look, you know, I know you, I know you pushed the hours last night, well done, but can you not do that during the week? You know, I've got your back. I'd rather you spend time with your son you know, go and get some fresh air, walk the dog or something like that, because I'd much rather people came in fresh than, you know, smashing the hours, because then it leads to complete chaos. And I've seen that in quite a few organizations I worked in. And actually, in the past, I actually got stuck, uh, sucked into that myself. So I can say from experience that just putting the hours in as a badge of honor really doesn't equal productivity. In fact, I'd argue right now that I don't know what you think about this, but I'm an advocate for the four-day week. I really am. Because anyone that's got a high-performing team knows that it's a few hours during the day you're getting the high-impact stuff done. Arguably, the rest of the time, is that is that really high productivity? You know, are you getting anything meaningful done? Or is it just, you know, filling those holes with, as I said, the meetings and the stuff that's nice to have, right? I love that aspect, and I just want to pick some of them. Uh, one thing I, I loved about your comment was that I, I think um, friction in a team is even required. Like you, like you mentioned, it would come to a good result. But if you have only yes-sayers uh, and you have not the right diversity in your team, I think it's very hard to come to the best result you can get. Uh, just maybe the fastest result or the fastest idea that, that comes uh, and gets executed, but it most likely is not the best. So how do you, um, let's say, steer or manage those frictions, let's say, into a yeah, collaborative way, let's say it this way? Because also there, there can be, let's say, very friction uh, and at the end with no result. The, the trick, though, is right to, to get to a, some some kind of result. Well, the friction is okay as long as you as a leader are facilitating that friction to then resolve, right? Mm -hmm. And there's times when, again, you have to just, it's experiential learning. So the short and fast of it is it won't happen overnight. But I'll give you a tangible example. I had a team in the Middle East where I inherited a few 
the rest I recruited from zero. And like I said before, it was actually remote. So they were actually in different countries as well. So it was a bit of a challenge. And then throw in the mix of the culture shock of the Middle East, where in general, the people that I had, depending on the nationalities, were kind of calling me Mr., which I was really uncomfortable with. You know, I came from a telco in the UK um, and everyone called each other by first name. So it was a bit of a shock to me. And then they were sitting on the hands, even though they were really talented individual people, because I looked into them and, you know, started to look at, you know, what can I do? What, how can I get the best out of these people? But they were waiting for me every day, waiting for me to tell them exactly what to do. Uh, so it, initially it was quite hard. And also there was a bit of infighting between them and they didn't trust each other. So you have to go there first. So the first thing it is was say, look, I know that this is what you might be used to, but we're going to do it differently. And, you know, at first they did resist and it was uncomfortable and they were like, why would we do this? And I said, well, why would you not? Would you rather do it this way? And then I showed them exactly what the benefits were tangible. You know, as a leader, you have to go there first. So it is a bit of patience and it will be challenging but it's worth every second of doing that versus trying to get there by rushing it. There aren't any shortcuts when it comes to creating a high-performing, psychologically safe team, contrary to popular belief and you know what, what's said in a lot of the famous leadership books. But it doesn't take years. You know, it, I reckon it took me about two to three, four months maximum. And then I recruited more people. I instilled the same kind of qualities. You know, this is what I expect. So just to unpack it a bit further, you have to be clear on your expectation. And then you have to go there first yourself. There's no good to be saying I want X, Y, Z, and then doing the opposite, because then the team will just be totally confused, right? So every day it was showing up, showing them that I trust them and they can trust me. And then the only way I can prove that they can trust me, right, is when things went wrong or they didn't know what to do, I appeared and I give them the gift of time. And like I pointed to before, I was just there to listen to them. And they were quite shocked because they used to have managers in this particular region where I worked. It was the UAE, just to give you an example. Uh, they were used to people shouting, you know, micromanagement, quite, uh, you know, I'll tell you what to do in finger pointing. So it was quite a big shock for them to course correct into a different leadership style. And it was, you know, not going to lie, it was a couple of months to be like, wow, okay, how long is this going to take? But like I said before, it, it's so rewarding when suddenly you see someone settle into feeling safe and then suddenly they just light up and then they're doing stuff based on their own ability their own experience. And then, like I say, when things go wrong, the crucial bit is just be ready to give them feedback, but not to ram it down the throat, right? Just to pick a safe space. So, okay, how did that go? It didn't go so well. No problem. I've got your back. Let's sit down and unpack that. What can we do if you do that again? You know, I'm not shouting at you. It's cool. It's not a problem, but let's try and avoid it happening in the future is a million miles away from me losing my temper and just standing there and you know bouncing them off the walls and that's what they were used to if i'm honest and it's not just i'm not blaming the middle east though. i mean it happened in the uk you know i had some terrible bosses in my career as well and i think that's what saved me you know i've seen a lot of leaders how not to do it right and i just promised myself that i would be the complete opposite so thank you for those horrible bosses i guess <laughs> And I think, yeah. Peter, this is a great a great um, comment that um, at the end, it's much more powerful if you have a team that is 
intrinsically motivated of uh, doing the right stuff and not being uh, and working and reacting on fear. Um, so one other aspect you mentioned in your last answer was that, um, I mean, if there's no meeting or if you just, let's say, reacted on not attending certain meetings. And I, I have also a policy. If there's no meet, if there's no agenda, I'm not the tender, right? So if a meeting is not well prepared with a, with a pre-read or, or post actions with clear next steps, I won't attend, right? Because it's a waste of time. So um, in particular for large organizations, we all know that this is not likely to happen. So how you can, or how you support also your clients in, in just saying no. I always try to say to my team leads, and, and to also I've worked quite a bit with, with all my team members actually, that they are the ones that need to say no. It will be not the last guy of the line, it will be you as a project manager or team lead or whomever that needs to start saying no. No to uh, to a project, no to uh, a next step, no to a decision, whatever. But it will be you. It will be not the last last guy or last lady in the line. So how do you um, foster those kind of attitudes, let's say, to, to, um, to, to people? It's a great question because it's not that simple. However, I can tell you that I got it wrong in my early career because I, I ended up in heated discussions with people who were more senior than me. You know, I'm pulling rank and you are going to turn up and stuff like that. So once I learned that I got my fingers burnt a few times, the difference is that if you go in a non-violent, non-judgmental way, and as we said, just explain that, look, what's the tangible you know, what are the tangible things about this meeting? Is it really worth us doing it? And just being honest. And yeah, there's still going to be times when you don't get your own way. But if you can instill that into your peers, into your team, we're all more likely when we, you know, set those meetings, we're going to be thinking, okay, is this really going to add value going forward? Is it really worth us having this every week, you know? And so many times in organizations that are worth a large one, we did actually gain time back but there was also situations where you know it just wasn't possible and i'm not saying go out there and get fired just because you blank refused to go and be in a meeting but i'm just an advocate for getting time back because of the self-care piece you know and people so this is the interesting thing i hear very senior management teams saying they want their teams to be high performing, they want them to feel safe and included, and they don't want them to burn out. But then when I observe, you know, if I get a chance to see that, not so much now because it's remotely, yeah, there's a massive mismatch between, and it's innocence. I'm not saying there's no company I've met so far that's the big bad corporate, right? There's some amazing people in even the worst organization. But it's just about being honest with yourself. And like I say, the best leaders, are the ones that go there first. And also they instill into the team that just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you can't be a self-leader. You know, you can be an amazing leader, but just being a great member of that team and being a collaborative leader, you know? So that means, for example, if I went into a meeting and, you know, we're all present, I expect everyone to, to just put the hand up and say, look, is this really beneficial to carry on? Or I think we, it's run its course. Let's give ourselves the gift of some time, but 
go back to your people, you know, go and look after them and all of that. And actually, it's more crucial to do that now because we're all sitting at home. And I don't know about you, it just seems, I mean, okay, I haven't been in the corporate world for a while now, but it seems a bit strange to sit in those kind of meetings that we all had in the past that went on for hours when we're actually sitting in our own living room, you know? So it's actually, it's probably easier now to have those conversations because I would hazard a guess that people who are the, you know, decision makers or it's possible to actually sway them are probably more open to getting time back. Because you've heard about Zoom fatigue. You see, I, I don't buy that. I'm not sure who made that up because for me, Zoom is a perfect tool. You know, it's if I didn't have Zoom, I wouldn't be able to do half the work of my clients, right? But again, it's picking the right kind of way to go into meetings, the right kind of energy. And I don't know if anyone's ever taught you about this, but if I go into a meeting freaking out or I'm uncomfortable and I'm not being authentic, even before I've opened my mouth, I've already set that meeting up for failure or it's going to be quite challenging, right? Versus me being relaxed, being authentic and just being okay. I'm listening. Let's go. And I'm more likely to realize if I'm droning on, right? And then my team are like glazing over and it's like, okay, it's time to pull a plug on this. Anyone got anything else, you know? And that, a lot of the times I just see leaders feeling uncomfortable about closing them off, you know? So it really does not, you know, it's not just on the leader's back. If you instill this psychologically safe environment where people can dissent in a controlled way, you're more likely to get loving feedback, you know? Someone might just give you a nudge and say, let's just pull the plug on this, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, no, but I it's think a lot that, less uncomfortable just saying no, right? Yeah. And I, and I think, like like you said, so uh, it, it's not it's not that uh, it's uh, kind of uh, I I can't remember exactly the phrase that you use, but it's not not just to 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 break something. It's just to be uh, respectful with each of our times uh, or with each of our our values. So to say no um, uh, or to not attend to a meeting where you say that there are hundreds of people invited. So the, 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 calculated, word, uh, the calculated time of you saying something is, is seconds, milliseconds. It just doesn't make any sense, right? I, I remember the time when I was calculating the cost of a meeting and I was telling it to my, to my boss and I said, look, this meeting costed us 15,000 euros without any pre-prep and without any post, post activities. Was it worth it? And he was kind of surprised that I was making the math. And I said, look, taking into consideration, this is the, the, the salary of each guy for the average, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, you're right. So it was the last time of those meetings. And I was happy because it was, uh, it was at the end uh, me in calculating it and saying, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's also waste of the company that, that, that you're working for, right? You, as a leader, should take certain responsibility in, in driving the company forward. Um, and I see many, many leaders, managers, people uh, in general, that 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 like to invite a lot of people into meetings in order to, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe convince themselves. Well, they are uh, all in now, and if we once have taken a decision now, everybody was having it. It's part of the decision, so there's no conflict. But conflicts, I think, at the end are, are good, uh, and it's it's good how to, but it's important how to deal with them. So maybe, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you can also give us a glimpse on on, on that, right? Well, yeah, it's um, conflicts will always be uncomfortable. That's the bad news. But the good news is that if you're willing to be a bit vulnerable, 
because it will always require vulnerability. And I think people get really confused about vulnerability because, you know, whenever we bring it up in workshops, I can see people going, oh, here we go. We're talking about vulnerability. I want to hide, you know. But it really is as simple as when things are not going your way, just hold your own. Just be there for your team, for your people. And again, it, it's it's the anti-individualism. I can't even speak individualistic behavior where okay i'm not feeling comfortable so i'm going to run away uh-huh. and the problem is we, we've all done that you know it, it happens so it's okay if you learn from it but if you've spotted yourself doing that it's it's asking yourself that honest question saying okay what's all that about what what was so uncomfortable that's detracted from me dealing with this situation and honestly all of the situations were i thought oh I'm going into this. My team are heated. They're blaming me because my back was against the wall. What's going to happen? But because I stayed in that meeting and I give them the gift of time and that space, it's resolvable. Because like I said before, if it goes quiet, you've really got trouble. You know, leadership teams come to me because I used to work on engagement programs and they're like, what can I do? And I'm like, well, just listen. You know, forget wasting millions on these massive, big, clunky engagement surveys and all of that. If you're listening and you teach your managers, middle managers, all the way up to your CEO to listen, then you're going to spot stuff. And then crucially, when you spot it, even though you're like, oh, I don't want to discuss that. This seems like a, a can of worms. I'd rather take the can of worms any day of the week than people talking behind my back or suddenly I've got to go begging because no one wants to say anything, right? Because we've all been in these meetings where it's really cringy, right? Where someone's in there saying, well, what's going on? I'm not hearing anything. And you, you know why? Because everyone's really annoyed. They, they don't feel safe to be able to be truthful and dissent or say what they really mean. And then everyone just sits and waits and it's a horrible <laughs> silence, you know, and silence can be okay. But what I'm saying is I'd rather have a bit of heat and someone saying, well, you know, we're not happy with this. And even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, here we go. Something's, something's going to happen. You'd be surprised if you're just willing to go there, there's always a solution. And even if there isn't, you know, there's times when I had to adjourn meetings because I honestly would say, look, we're not getting anywhere, but not a problem. I've got your back still. I know you're still annoyed, but let's let's adjourn for today because it got heated and then just say to them, look, I'm not washing my hands of this. Let's pick another time when we've calmed down again and we're going to address it. We're going to bring that back on the table and I'm listening. And it's totally fine, you know? Uh, Peter, the gift by doing so is that the, the, the tensions are there anywhere, anyway. There may be underneath the surface, and if there's, uh, I mean, if the the tensions between the, the people uh, and and having the problem not solved publicly, in having saying no or to have the, the let's say the friction um, uh, discussed, it happens maybe during the project, right? That the project manager and the other project manager they are fighting between each other, but they have never really talked. I mean, we are all human beings, so I think I, I'm I'm always a fan of if you have a problem get into a room, shake it, discuss it, and then come out and it's resolved. Because at the end, the friction is there. And I think, uh, like you said, it's, it's important to give room for that friction to be resolved. And you know, the other parts of that, I don't know if you've thought about this, but when people tell me they don't like this, again, you've got to put your coaching hat on, right? So any good leader knows, okay, is that really true? 
you know, and you take it with a pinch of salt, but also, you, as, as we agreed, right, you don't detract and act as if it's not real to them because regardless of whether you agree or not, it, it there's something, there's always a grain of truth in anything, right? Yeah. So for me, it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, and then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on that, you know, I'm gonna reflect, I'm gonna let that percolate because is it they just don't like the coffee, or is there something really tangible in what we're doing and we need to change it? Because I see lots of organizations and it's good that they're trying because they honestly want to have a better uh experience for their employees, right? But I see many knee-jet reactions from engagement surveys where people are just annoyed or pissed off in the moment, right? So they 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 mark the team down or this and that. And I'm always curious about that because I'm right. okay, is it just been because there's been a weird quarter where things got out of hand and they're just, you know, they're lashing out? Or, you know, what is that deeper problem? You know, is there a systemic something there tangible that we can work on and really start to chip away at that? So it's always thinking about, okay, let's not panic and spend even more money trying to resolve something that maybe in a couple of months' time, it's not even a thing. And that requires, again, patience, time, and also knowing to trust yourself that, you know, even though you think, okay, I want to resolve this, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation. Let's see how this plays out. And again, having, you know, I know it seems obvious, but again, giving people a gift of time and checking in again, say, right, I know you were annoyed by this and this came out as the top, top, you know, few things to resolve. But is it really true now? You know, have things settled down? What else is there, you know? And you'd be surprised because a lot of things just end up naturally being resolved out of the wash. And then you're on to the next thing versus, like I said, what I've normally seen is people, okay, that's it. And then they make huge changes and then set up one big change project only to find out not even halfway through that that's not it, right? (laughs) Peter, I I fear we could talk about in hours <laughs> about that. So let me maybe finish up with asking you the question, what would you have said to, to your, the younger Peter or the younger yourself when you started your career um, in order to not go into this trade? I like that one. Definitely to listen, like I said, listen to myself, you know, to my own wisdom and check in and ask myself, the, you know, the questions are pointed out, you know, is that really true? What's really going on? You know, do I really need to knee-jerk react because of emotion, right? And the second bit is, again, patience. <laughs> patience, patience, patience. Because we all want to go fast, right? We've all got pressure. There's a time suck piece to it. You know, there's KPIs and targets and all of that. But the more that I slowed down later in my career, actually, the more work I got done because I was less likely to rush into something and then end up with a mess that I had to work on later on, right? Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. I love that, Peter. Thanks so much uh, for being our guest today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you very much for having me. Go for Leadership, the podcast.